This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about political prisoners and, and what it means to be, whether and, and whether that's a term that you're familiar with, what it means to be an activist, what it means to be an elder, what it means to be a teacher who is facing one of the most difficult elements of the state as it pertains to resisting your activism. We're going to be talking about what it means to be black, to have been active in organizing on behalf of the community and to consistently, uh, decades later, still be facing the challenges that came from those uh, decisions and that came from that commitment. Uh, my guest, Lamumba Bandele, is a real student of this work, and he is actually one of my favorite organizers to follow. I got to be honest with you. Uh, I've known this brother for a very long time. He and his wife are absolutely amazing. Uh, Lamumba Akinwole Bandele is a father, a husband, longtime community organizer, and an educator from Central Brooklyn. He uh, is an organizer and coordinator, and, and I I, I'm going to pause here for a second. Y'all know I don't usually read folks' entire bio. I'm going to read this bio because a lot of times when we're talking about our issues, we tend to not take our activists and heroes as seriously as we should. So I'm going to give you the receipts so that we are clear about the quality of conversation we're about to have. Uh, he was an organizer and coordinator with the Bring Sundiata Akoli Home Alliance. He is the former National Strategies and Partnerships Director at the Movement for Black Lives. Uh, he served as a programming coordinator for the Franklin H. Williams Caribbean Cultural Center uh, African Diaspora Institute. Uh, during his tenure there, he also he co-founded an organization that trained organizers and created workshop series for young activists. Uh, he went on to receive his master's in human service from Lincoln University. He was a member and organizer of the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. That's where I met him uh, and his amazing wife. And he helped to establish a campaign, a powerful campaign, to counter police abuse and misconduct. Uh, he is also the co-founder of the world-renowned Black August Hip Hop Project, uh, which we talked about a lot on this show. Uh, he served as a counselor and a lecturer at the Mega Evers College. Y'all know I got to show love to my institution. He introduced ethnic studies courses. Uh, he taught an introduction to ethnic studies courses at San Fran State University. He continues to teach community organizing classes as a lecturer to this day. He served as a director of community organizing at the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. I actually left a lot out, but I'm doing so because I want to preserve time. But I want us to give a warm round of applause uh, to our guest, Lamumba Bandele, uh, for joining us today. It is such a pleasure to have you back with us, sir. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for quite some time. Uh, and it is a delicate yeah. conversation. And so I was so pleased that you were available to have it because this is a conversation that requires some nuance. It requires a, yeah. a delicate touch. And you are certainly a person, uh, one of the best persons that I know of who can help us navigate this terrain. Now, we're going to be talking about a couple of different issues today. And, and while this is not uh, the only topic that we're going to, to cover, I want us to get a, a firm understanding understanding of what it means when we use the term political prisoner. What does that mean in the context of, of black people in this country? Yeah, it's, it's actually um, something that, mo that is, is seldom applied to black people in this country. When you hear the term political prisoners, most of us automatically think of other nations across the globe that have already been criminalized and demonized by 
U.S. propaganda. So we, you know, we, we think of China, we think of uh, places in the Middle East, you know, and unfortunately, we, you know, we, we think of Cuba, we think of all of these places. But what we do not think of are the numbers of, of, of people who have been, who continue to be, and those who will be incarcerated because of their political beliefs and or activities. Mm. That, in essence, is a political prisoner, someone who's, uh, whose political uh, activities and beliefs has been criminalized. And so we end up dealing with a phenomena of law enforcement being used as a tool to 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 preserve um, status quo within the state and people actually becoming victimized um, by law enforcement's um, um, pursuit of, of, of people in their political um, expression. Mm. When we think about that definition, do we have an under do are there is there data on how many people who are currently incarcerated would fit under that definition today? Or is that is that something that we know or is are we just uh, sort of loosely figuring this out case by case? Well, unfortunately, we don't have the resources to really accurately give give a, a, a quantitative answer to that. Like, mm. you know, we know that right now you can actually get information of people that we have identified as political prisoners at the Jericho Amnesty Campaign website. Um, and right now there are, there are about, I'd say, about 30 different people who have been recognized as political prisoners within the United States currently mm at least through that particular uh, framework. There are others, particularly after the uprisings last year, where we're still trying to gather. We know that people have mm. been disappeared. We know that people have been um, charged with other, uh, other uh, charges that we know um, are not true. Uh, and so it's hard to really gather all that information. If we had the resources, if we had the ability to really uh, scale up to be able to, to assess the damage that has been done, assess where we are, and be able to also provide the kind of support necessary to these individual campaigns, we would be in a better place to answer that question factually. Mm. Um, But the other good part about this is over the past few years, we have seen the release of at least a dozen and a half former political prisoners. So that number would be greatly uh, increased had the work uh, of, of, of people um, committed to this, this this particular issue over the past two decades had not been successful. Mm. So we're talking about the entire Move 9 have come home. Mm. The New York Three, all of them are now released. Teku Odinga is home. Robert Seth Hayes was released. All of these people just two, three years ago, we were having a totally different conversation. Mm. And so there's there's been some significant success in, in this in this work as well. What does that work look like when you, when we talk about because some these folks, you know, and, and I know not nearly enough about this topic as I should. But what I do know is that some of these folks have served more years incarcerated than I've actually been on the earth, uh, which to me is just absolutely mind boggling. The, the work to secure their freedom. What does that look like? What goes into that? A lot, <laughs> a lot. So I've, I've been working on a political prisoner. Uh, issues since 95. Um, And I owe a lot of that actually to um, Safiya Bukhari, uh, a former political prisoner herself. Um, Mm. And in fact, she identified as a prisoner of war. And we can talk about those distinctions. Um, But, you know, a lot goes into it. And Mm. so for the most part, there is um, a number of camp, there are a number of campaigns that people are, are, are part of most of these, if not all of them, are not staffed. These are all volunteer. These are mm. all 
family members, these are organizations, these are other people who have some level of relationship uh, to, to, to these particular uh, political prisoners. But it really um, takes up your life. Because mm. for the most part, we're dealing with people who have been forgotten about. We're dealing with people who the public has been told are criminals, not just criminals, but the worst of the worst that's used. That's typically and actually the, the language that's, that's used. Um, and we end up having to change the narrative around who they actually are. And that's a huge, huge task. But then also, one of the things that we were forced to do, at least in, in, in my work, we recognized that we actually had to shift some of what our framing was around this. So for the first two decades of my doing this work, we were really intent on doing as much awareness as we could around political prisons in the United States. We did all of the teachings. We did the trifold pamphlets, printed, printed those up. We, we posted throughout the city. We did all of this stuff. And what we expected was for the public to become outraged to know that we have all of these people, people who come out of organizations that we know changed our lives individually mm. and collectively. Organizations like the Black Panther Party, organizations like the Republic of New Africa, organizations like SNCC, organizations like, like um, uh, 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 Puerto Rican Independence Movement, Native American Independence Movement, all of these different formations that we know changed the course of history for this country and thus changed our individual and collective lives have now been represented to us as criminals. And so mm -hmm. what we were intended on doing was sharing the truth about who they were. And we thought that people would just totally lose it, organize organically and just, and just demand their release. That never happened. Mm. That never happened. So we had to shift from what we call awareness campaigns to freedom campaigns. And the two are different. Mm. Right. So one is really trying to make people aware of their existence. The other is very intentional about seeing them walk out of prison. The reason we actually shifted uh, to freedom campaigns was because these freedom fighters were dying in prison. Wow. That we, we, we could not afford to allow for this organic process that we were waiting to happen to happen. Mm. So mm. people like Bashir Hamid, Abdul Majid, um, Kwesi Balagoon, um, Abbott Noah Washington, all of these people died in prison, My were God. not able to, to see freedom. And so we recognized that we did not have the luxury to, to try to wait for people to wake up and do this. And so we created a series of strategies, um, particular to each campaign, and we began executing them. And forgive the execution term. We began gotcha. uh, moving <laughs> gotcha. on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we go further, Lumumba, I, I, I want to ask you about the, the failure in response. Because, mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is part probably just my own internal state of dis disquiet about this issue, but the failure in response from the community, which should have, all things being equal, which should have had a, a rousing, uh, invigorating uh, burst of emotion, of anger uh, that was fed and, and nurtured by the campaign that should have motivated our community to respond differently what was the the assessment as to why that wasn't happening? And after you answer that, let's, I want to talk about the emotions behind that and, and the, mm. the, the sense mm. of disappointment and what that can do to a movement. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're up against one of the, the states, the United States, 
has a series of a, a vast uh, toolbox of effective weapons. We know they have nuclear weapons. We know they have uh, one of the strongest, the strongest military on the globe. But one of its strongest weapons is its propaganda, mm. which is one of the things that Cuba has taught us over and over again, which is why they are so consistent with trying to protect its nation, its borders from, from U.S. propaganda. Mm. The ability to infiltrate individual and collective minds by both uh, traditional and non-traditional means has been deadly. Mm. Has been deadly. The ability to frame what people think, to frame how people think, um, has been has been really significant. And so we're up against that. We're up against annually the law enforcement communities coming out and 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 in a very organized fashion. Um, coming out in opposition to any of the parole efforts of those of our freedom fighters who um, were convicted of, of, of murders of police officers. Mm. We have that. And that's the direct propaganda. We have the indirect propaganda, which is the, and this is something that, you know, is very rarely talked about. Within times of uprisings, usually what comes up on the heels of that is a significant amount of cop films and TV shows. Wow. What they do not want is for people to lose faith in this 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 uh, law and order kind of structure uh, of framing that that that's necessary in order to keep order in, in the United States. Mm. And so we're up against some very direct and indirect propaganda. We're also out resourced. Yeah. Like, again, if we had the ability to really scale up and 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 be able to show the, the, the truth around these individuals experiences, who they are, why they're in prison. Um, I think we would have some uh, increased level of success, but we're out-resourced. And then the mm-hmm. other thing is that we're also dealing with um, a movement that we're still fighting for the issues that these people were fighting for when they went to prison. Right. So we're having to do simultaneous things at the same time. Almost all of them were incarcerated because of their fight against police and state violence. Mm. We need not say more about what we're facing today. Right. Mm. We know that we're still having to continue to do that work as well as defend these individuals in prison and try to get them out. So it's a it's a series of things that that keep us, um, you know, that prevent us from actually being as successful as possible with with winning over um, the attention, the hearts and minds of our people about our political prisoners and our freedom fighters existence. Mm. The idea that we are literally fighting for the same thing today, decades after many of these folks were incarcerated for fighting those issues as they existed uh, decades ago, that hit me hard. That that well, hurts. Let, let, let me illustrate that a little bit more for you because yeah. I, it, it, it should hit you hard. Mm. Um, 2014, fall of 2014, we're looking at the Ferguson uprising, right? We're also looking at the uprisings in New York. Uh, following the murder of, of Eric Garner. Mm. That also was the year, that fall, that Sekou Odinga walked out of prison after 33 and a half years. Mm. Sekou came home the same day that many of our organizations in New York City were planning a shutdown of the city. Mm. And so he literally drove from Clinton Correctional Facility into New York City to his welcome home at the National Black Theater only to be stuck on the bridge, not able to get to his home in Brooklyn because our organization shut down all of these avenues throughout the city. So he came home. He came home literally 
to the movement fighting uh, to defend black lives uh, that he left, that he was incarcerated for. And so when I asked them about this, 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 this dynamic, like, you know, how does this make you feel? Because for me, emotionally, I felt like, damn, we let him down. Right. Like we should not be having to have these same conversations. We should not be having to uh, have these same kinds of engagements because otherwise, what are we, you know, what are we for? And we're clear that we're dealing with, you know, a, 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 a monstrous uh, system that, that continues to, to, uh, you know, replicate, you know, state violence in many different ways. But when I asked him what he thought, he said that he was hopeful, that mm. he was inspired and that he was glad, even though he wanted to get home, he was glad to see this number of people because when he went to prison, it wasn't this level. It wasn't this, this, these numbers of people wow. in the streets. They did, wow. not, they did not have the capacity to shut down the city the way we did that day. Mm. And so, so yes, that, that, that illustration for me was like, damn, we got a whole lot of work to do. <laughs> Man, see, this is why before you came on uh, every day on the show, we do a moment of gratitude where we intend to find whatever joyful, appreciative or grateful yes. or thing that we can uh, to sort of yes. center ourselves and root ourselves in that before we dive into these conversations, because inevitably these conversations leave me feeling like, oh, my God. Yes. Uh, but so, you know what? And that's also one of the reasons why we have not been able to gain the freedom of our political prisons. This is hard work. Mm. Not only is it hard work. But the emotional toll, as you talked about, is heavy. Yeah, yeah. Is extreme. Prison kills people. Mm. Prison kills. It literally deteriorates your mental and physical and spiritual health on a daily basis. Mm. And so to actually work regularly to actually free people from these conditions and to see it chip away at the health of the one, the loved ones that you are attempting to free is it takes a toll on you. Mm. It takes a toll. One of the most difficult things that you'll do is, is, is leave those loved ones behind in a visiting room. Mm. That's tough. That's tough. Mm. You go to visit that person to lift their spirits, to share with them everything that's happening on the outside. You get to go home. They go back into a cage. Mm. That's tough. And you can't really expect people to do this day in and day out and not be impacted. Right. So there's a whole lot that, it, that a, to, a whole lot of emotional uh, um, toll that it takes on, on folks doing this work. Mm. I, I want to turn now to the case of one uh, incarcerated family member, uh, and by family I mean the Pan African family. Uh, That's right. I, I want to talk about the case of Sundiata Akoli. Who yeah. is Sundiata Akoli, and where is he now? Sundiata Akoli is an absolutely brilliant mathematician. Scientist, visual artist, father, grandfather, who is currently serving over 48 years now in prison. He is 84 years old. Wow. He is currently housed in a federal facility in Maryland while he is uh, serving time for a state conviction. So he's not serving a federal time, but he's in federal custody. And this is uh, very similar. This is very um apropos to how the state has been dealing with our freedom fighters. Um, and so, you know, he is an amazing, an amazing, amazing individual, somebody who graduated pre-review pre A&M mm. um, at age 19, age 16, excuse me. Um, so when you talk about like the brilliance, literally a math major, you know what I mean? Right. Um, 
and an amazing, amazing visual artist, poet, storyteller, um, and former member of the Black Panther Party, one of the uh, older members at that time. Mm. Um, and is seen as, as, as a, you know, elder teacher and statesman. Um, but he is right now suffering. Sundiata is dealing with a series of health conditions um, that threaten his life. Um, he is dealing with um, uh, early stages of, of dementia, um, cardiovascular mm. disease. He's still suffering from post-COVID symptoms. He's been able to survive COVID. Mm. But again, when I tell you prison kills, this is what I'm talking about. You know, there's a study that was done that said that prison adds uh, years to your life. So someone who is 84 outside um, is much younger than an 84-year-old who's been in prison mm. for some time. Like mm. prison adds years, adds, adds, adds on years to, 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 to the deterioration of, of, of your body, both you know, physically as well as spiritually and mentally. And so he is um, in a very, very um, uh, vulnerable position right now. Mm. We're grateful that his spirits are still high. We're grateful that he is um, still sharp, as sharp as he can be. Um, but he is someone who has done more, more than his share of time. And we can talk a little bit about the details of his, of, of his case. But that's who he is. He's a, he's a beloved freedom fighter who also happens to be the co-defendant of Asada Shakur. Mm. Let's talk about that. What were the underlying uh, facts around his, his case? He was convicted of the murder of a state trooper in New Jersey, as was Asada Shakur. And so we can talk, you know, at length at some time about how they were both convicted um, and the details around that, you know, we really don't focus on. Um, because at this point, we don't have the luxury and time to relitigate that. We know that, that that's a right. lengthy process. Right. right. You know, what we do focus on is it's time for him to come home. Mm. In the state of New Jersey, people who have New Jersey state convictions, once you have served the minimal amount of time, once you've been, once you've served enough time that brings you up to the eligibility of parole, you are presumed to have met the criteria for parole, meaning that it is then the responsibility of the state to present reasons as to why you should not be released. Sundiata has been eligible for parole um, for over 20 years now. Jesus! He has been denied parole eight times. The reasons that they have been giving for denial have been the severity of the crime and that he it will continue to be a danger to society. Let me reiterate his, 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 his demographics. He's 84 years old. He is dealing with a barrage of health conditions. He's an artist. He's a mathematician. Uh, before he went to prison, he was a computer tech, uh, tech, uh, uh, he did computer work. You know, so this particular person with this demographic the state of New Jersey is saying is a danger to society. Let me add on to this. One of his jobs in prison is actually to prepare other uh, people who are about to be released for reentry into society. He has. Wait, 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 stop. (laughs) Hold on. Stop. Bruh. I just hold on one second. My brain cannot keep up. You're telling me that the state of New Jersey will not release him because he is a danger to society. And his current job, while incarcerated, is to help prepare people to be... 
active participants of the community. Yes. Lord of mercy. What is happening to help organize around his case today? So we have some very specific asks. Um, We have a petition right now that's probably a few hundred shy of 15,000 that is um, directed to Governor Phil Murphy. Uh, the demand is that he release Sundiata. He has the ability with, uh, in his rights as the, as the governor of the state mm. of New Jersey mm. to release Sundiata immediately. With the stroke of a pen, Sundiata can actually be home with his family. And so we have a petition uh, do right now. you mean now. Governor Murphy, the Democrat Governor Murphy? who Governor uh, Murphy, the Democrat huh. Governor Murphy, yeah. Okay, okay, yes. just checking, yes. just making sure we're talking about the That's same the man. One. Okay, That's okay. the same man. That's mm-hmm. the same man, yes. Gotcha. And so we have we have this this particular set of, this petition that is directed at Governor Murphy. We're also doing an intentional um, organizing within New Jersey. And so, if any of your listeners are a part of organizations, um, sororities, fraternities within organization, excuse me, within New Jersey, or are part of a uh, faith based organization in the state of New Jersey, educational organization, whatever it may be, social society. We need your help. We're asking mm. you to join us. We want you to join the effort to send a letter to the governor um, on behalf of your organization. Um, we have people who are residents of New Jersey who are sending postcards directly to us. So we're collecting those postcards. So we, people can go to www.sundiataacoli, that's S-U-N-D-I-A-T-A-A-C-O-L-I-F, org to get all of this information where you can download uh, the information around the postcards, you can be directed to the petition, and you can get all the other resources that is necessary to talk about Sundiata. And also you can contact us. We'll make ourselves available to call into your meetings, um, to give you whatever information you need to, 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 to get support from your organizations. Um, and so this is what we're doing. We're doing this. We're having conversations um, consistently about about Sundiata. Uh, September 30th, which is next week, Thursday, we'll be having a webinar around elder elders in prison. And so we'll be highlighting mm. the situation of, of Sundiata. And we're, we're calling all people to join the conversation and become activated. Um, so there's a series of things that people can do, if nothing else sign a petition. If you want to do a bit more, sign and share the petition. Mm-hmm. If you want to do a little bit more than that, give us a holler. We can tell you how you can help um, get the word out, how you can actually contact uh, people in the state legislature. All of those things are necessary, and we realize that we're running against the clock. Sundiata is 84 years old. He does not have a lot of time. We want to make sure that before this calendar year is up, mm-hmm. that actually he will be able to be home. And let me just let me. You, you, you said you said your mind was blown by that fact. I wanted to just share something else that will probably further highlight the contradictions of this this uh, this idea that this is a fair and just society. Huh. Uh, a a federal court actually agreed with us in saying that Sundiata should be released. Whoa. That the parole denial that the parole denial was unconstitutional. That they did not follow the law. A federal court. Wow. Agreed with us. An appeals court later rejected that decision based on a procedural issue, not the merits of the claim, mm. but a procedural issue. 
So we have all of these things that clearly state that Sundiata should be home with his two daughters. He should be home with his grandchildren. He should be do- home doing all of the things that people uh, should be doing, an 84-year-old man should be doing. But he continues to be in prison because of who he is, what he's done, and who he's associated with. Mm. Whew. I almost said black Jesus, but that just feels so inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> just feels like it's not even enough. Ah, Lumumba, as we think about this matter, and I know that, that our time together is short, and I, I really appreciate you making the time to be with us today. This mm. is one of many campaigns that are currently right. in operation, uh, that are currently really trying to galvanize as many people as we possibly can to bring attention to these cases. And, and more than just awareness, as you pointed out, we passed awareness uh, to bring these folks home to free them all. In fact, that hashtag free them all, uh, we see still uh, really vibrant and active. I hope that I can get you to come back to talk about some of these other cases as well, because I feel as though, and you please push back on this if I'm making, if I'm missing the mark here, I sometimes feel as though we in our community think about folks like Sundiata, people who have been locked up, whether they were locked up for uh, their political activities or locked up for whatever reason in our community, we kind of treat them like the black American relationship to ancestors where it's like, we know they're there, but we ain't really engaged. Like we yeah. like, Oh yeah. Uh, thank God yeah. for all the ancestors, but we ain't, we ain't pouring no libations. We ain't really like, you know, engaging yeah. in the practices. Uh, we might send a letter once or twice, but we're not, how do we make the plight yeah. of our incarcerated brothers and sisters something that is more real, more present, and more relevant, and, and not just for those of us who got a cousin that's locked up? What, what are we missing here in the activism space that is not allowing that connection to come through more, more so- solidly? I think part of what we're attempting to do is also humanize uh, our freedom fighters. But I think for so many decades, we've put capes on them and made them these super bad freedom fighters. And what that does is actually serve, quite frankly, our own um, personal and political uh, purposes of wanting to talk about how bad we are as a people. But what happens is they begin to suffer as individuals. He suffers as a father. He suffers as a grandfather. He Mm. suffers as an uncle. He suffers as an educator because we are so, so content on boosting him up, boosting them up as, as, as the people who've defended our communities. Well, at what point are we going to defend them? Oh. At what point do we say that they've done enough? At what point do we say it is time for them to come home? We got this. Mm. That is where we are. They need to be home. I'm not interested in uh, talking about how, how bad he is and all that. That's fine. But this man needs to be home with his grandchildren. Mm. This man needs to be home with his daughters. I mean, people like it. You got to understand. So, Rochelle McGee is, probably, is, is right now the, the longest serving political person. He's been in prison for 57 years in California. Oh, my God. 57 years in California. Um, Jalil Mutakim, who came home last October, he had been home for close to 50 years, 49 and like three quarters of a year. My entire, before I was born, he was incarcerated. Mm. Right? And I think that, again, we have this, this we, we rest on this, they are great individuals. If they're that great, let's bring them home. Mm. Let's let them live. Yeah. Let's make sure that they can actually enjoy the things that we enjoy. We may not want to talk about it and act like it, but we, we enjoy these things. We enjoy going to the park. We enjoy catching a movie. We enjoy mm. hugging our family. We enjoy meeting up with our families for dinners, right? They deserve that. 
They've mm. put in more than enough work. They deserve that. And the biggest thing is, it's possible. It's possible. We've done the impossible. Jalil Mutakim, after almost 50 years, is home. Mm. He's home. Herman Bell, after 47 years, he's home. The Move 9, all of them have been released. They mm. have, we've done the impossible. Every single name that I've mentioned were sentenced to die in prison. They were told they would never see the light of day. We proved the state to be liars. Mm. They this morning, can be released. They can and they must. They can and they must. And and this morning, uh, one of the inspiration quotes I shared talked about what happens when we determine to be victorious. It can happen. When we determine, when we resolve to be victorious, every nerve and fiber in our being will immediately orient itself towards our success. And I think it is time for us to resolve to be victorious at resolving our own issues and securing the freedom uh, for our beloved elders who are there because of their sacrifice for us. Lamumba, you That's are right. a gem. Uh, I got some other things As I need to work you. with you on. <laughs> got, got, As are you. I thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. I really, really thank do you, appreciate brother. you, man. Really appreciate your leadership at LCMSJ. Thank you. 